Happy Father's Day. I hope you celebrate. Uh, interestingly, when Shelley and I were on our vacation, uh, this song that we just sang was playing on the radio. I don't think I was paying close attention to it. And Shelley asked me, is that right? I said, is what right? The song, is that right? You know, is it right to use the word reckless of God's love? Is that biblical? I mean, is that what it really says? That, that was the gist of the question. And I said, oh, I think so. Because it goes back to the story of the prodigal. And whether or not we think it's comfortable to use the word reckless of God's love, the older brother sees the father's love as reckless, uh, never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love. I'm a, I'm a father, and this story changed my life. I know that sounds dramatic, but it's, it's really true. I think that's one of the things that I count an advantage of being a pastor that teaches, brings the message from God's Word. If you were to put yourself in my shoes, I think you would be the same as me. You just can't stand up here and talk to people if you don't take this stuff to heart. If it isn't real for you, then it's not going to be real for anyone else. It, it just, it doesn't fly. It, it isn't authentic. And so it was years ago that I first taught on this story, which I have taught many times, and it changed the way I see God. It changed the, the way I see God's love. It shaped my understanding of love and the way I am to love. And this story continues to work on me, as it did this week as well. But this story had such profound influence on me for one reason. Jesus tells this story. This is, this is Jesus' story of the Father. This is his telling of the Father's love. And Jesus stands behind this story. It, he stands behind, we might say, the reckless love of God. There's a reason that he tells this story. And it's in Luke chapter 15, and it's in the very first two verses. Luke tells us in these two verses that this is Jesus' answer to criticism about his life and his ministry. 
his representation of God, his expression of the love of God. He attracts the wrong people, they say. He attracts tax collectors. He attracts sinners. This love, this ministry, this kingdom of God that he talks about, it's not just words. He shows it. He lives it out, and it attracts all the wrong people. And so the critics begin to complain. He, they say, welcomes and eats with and associates with such people on friendly terms. On friendly terms. And judging from the story, And not just the story of the prodigal, but the two stories that precede it, Jesus is celebrating what God is doing in these people's lives, and others are critical. And so he tells this story to help them see where they are in relation to God's reckless love. But Jesus doesn't just tell the one story, he tells three stories, and each story ends in celebration. I hope you celebrate Father's Day. But whether you do or not, I want you to know that the story that we are going to read ends in celebration. And there's something to celebrate, not just today, but every day. Moreover, we can be agents of celebration, instigators of celebration, creators of celebration, sources of celebration because of the reckless love of God. So I want us to entertain a question this morning. What keeps us from celebrating? All three stories give us one answer. Loss. Loss. Loss of something valuable. One sheep from a fold of a hundred. One sheep. One coin from a handful of ten. One coin and one son of a father of two. Here's the thing about loss. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. Don't wait for loss to define the great value of what you've got. The wise rejoice and celebrate what they've got, and they don't wait for loss. All of these stories 
end in celebration because what was lost is found. And in each case, there is an invitation. Rejoice with me. I mentioned this story changed my life. It's the story, as I said, popularly called the prodigal son. But when I first studied it, it occurred to me that it's not the son that is really reckless. It's the father who loves more than the reckless son, which demonstrates that his love is indeed reckless. Let's read this story together. It begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed himself with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. He swelled with compassion. His heart went out to him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat. Let's celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, What do these things mean? And the servant said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him or spoke kindly to him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed one command. 
yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son here has come home who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's celebrate. What keeps us from celebrating? Well, as I said, the big answer is loss, but there are deeper reasons. Deeper reasons that the story tells us, and these reasons have to do with right and wrong, particularly rights and wrongs. Our rights and our wrongs, they get in the way. There are two exhibits here in this story. In fact, the story revolves around the, the wrongs and the rights. In verse 18 and 19, the younger son, it's his wrongs that have the potential to keep them from celebrating. He himself recognizes it. And what does he say? I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And it's his wish that perhaps he could find a place in the household, in the ranks of the hired hands, So he asks, he, he plans to have his father ask, he, he's going to ask his father if he would treat him, not as a son, but treat him as a hired servant. Because, why? Because of his wrongs. And lest he's making too much of it, of course, later in the story, that's the bone of contention with the older brother. He doesn't deserve the way his father loves him, the way his father overlooks his wrongs. When his father doesn't allow those wrongs to get in the way of celebrating, of recognizing his son's worth, recognizing the opportunity of restoration and reconciliation, in fact, of celebration. He talks about him in terms of resurrection. That's a value that he sees in the Son that can't be marred by his wrongs. That's a vision that he has of what can be that can't be eliminated by wrongs. 
And what about the older brother in verse 29? We see his, his rights. I've never disobeyed you. And it's because of all those rights. He's always done the right thing. He's been the dutiful son. He stayed at home. He wasn't reckless with his inheritance. He was the firstborn. But now that he sees the way his father loves his younger brother, his rights, it's wrong, he says. You never even gave me a kid. Rights and wrongs, wrongs and rights. This hits home for me. I know both sides. I know it before God, and I know it before my father. I know it before my mother, my sister, my wife, my children. We all know both sides of this problem that keeps us from celebrating a reckless, never-ending, overcoming, overwhelming love. And that is really the answer to the problem. And we see it at two key points. We see the Father's love in verse 20. When at a distance, his No, his son hasn't even spoken a word. He doesn't even know what's in his son's heart. He doesn't know why his son is coming home. He doesn't know if he's right-hearted, repentant or not. He's filled with compassion. And it prompts action. Not consideration of whether he's worth it or he still holds that value. His love places a value on the son. And he begins to run. And he falls, it says. It falls on the neck of his son, and he begins to kiss him. And then his son says, Dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then what is next? Treat me like a servant. But his dad cuts him off, and he begins to act. They're words of action. Bring the finest robe. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf. Let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but he lives. He was lost, and he is found. See, that's a father making all that happen. It's the father bringing celebration to the existence of this opportunity to love, an opportunity of reconciliation, opportunity to influence and make things different. That's 
that love of God. That's the love that leads, that has an eye for celebration, the celebration of great value when people are no longer estranged but reconciled. It's a motivator. But you know what we usually do? We walk away when people are caught up in their wrongs and rights. We who know the love of God, we kind of get caught up in that same thing. And so the Those people who can't celebrate, we say, you've got a problem, dude. Take care of those wrongs and rights. Fix it yourself. Get over it. And when when you get it taken care of, give me a call. And we walk away. We've had enough. It's not worth it. We're not ready to go that extra mile. It's a lonely walk in the second part of the journey. But that's not the love of God. And that's the love we're called to. This Father's love is undeterred, undeterred by his own mistreatment and suffered disrespect. He goes right past that to love and meet the needs of his sons. Don't let wrongs get in the way of God's love. That's what we learn from the younger, the story of the younger son. Don't let wrongs get in the way of God's love. Don't let wrongs be the last word on a person's worth or a better, or different, or new future. It's hard sometimes in our humanness, but this love inspires us. This love that's touched our hearts in Jesus Christ. This love that's lived out by Jesus Christ. This love that he has expressed to us in such self-sacrificial giving of his life, that we might know new life. And this just isn't, this isn't just a teaching. This isn't just a doctrine. We are filled with his spirit. We're full of his fruit, love, joy. Love, joy, the first two Descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit that empowers our lives when we let His love take over. And that's, that's the act of faith. That's where we get our heads straight. That's where we shed that selfishness that so easily grows up and chokes out God's heart and love in our lives. And once again, we begin to live. People say, um, so do you want to move to Hawaii? Which is where we spent two weeks of vacation. I could handle a third week, I think. But I wouldn't want to live there. I want to live where life is meaningful for me. 
Vacation has meaning in that it restores me, re-energizes. You know, I get an extra hour to an hour and a half of sleep every day. It's just decompression time. But this is where life is meaningful. It, with my family, with you, where I live, where I really live. And that's where God in Jesus Christ wants to bring you to life through his reckless love and to celebration. God's love creates opportunity. God's love heals. He makes... The Father says... This son of mine was dead, but now he lives. That's resurrection language. He was lost, but now he's found. Do you realize that he makes those words true? He didn't have... He, what if he had felt no compassion, but resentment and wrong and injury and insult and anger and disrespect and shame for his son's behavior in the company of his friends. He overlooked all of that. What if the son had had to run to him and cow and the father had said, get away from me. You're no son of mine. You're better dead to me. But he didn't. Love changed everything. Not because the son earned it or merited it or wooed it out of the father. He created, and we can too in Christ, when we quit reacting to what others do. Jesus dealt with this in this same gospel in Luke chapter 6, my favorite chapter, 627 to 35. You want to follow me, Jesus says? Then you've got to love like your father, my father, loves. That's why he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. Turn the cheek to him who hits you. And then he says this. He says, what credit is it if you love those who love you? Actually, he gives a list of things. What credit is it? In other words, if, if when you love, you've got to be motivated first by love that comes from someone else. If you're going to lend, you have to be motivated by somebody who has first lent to you. In other words, he says, you're no disciple of mine unless you love in a way that nobody in this world or this culture or this world system operates, because that's the way we all operate. We're all disciples of the system. We love when we're loved. We lend when we're lent to. We're nice when people are nice. But he says, I'm talking about real love, 
love that creates celebration. Don't let wrongs get in the way. Don't let rights get in the way of God's love. We see this in the older brother, verses 24 to 32. The older son resents that father's love, as I mentioned. But here again, we see the father's love. Just as he showed the younger one compassion in verse 20, here we see him speak to his son. And just like the younger one, he goes out to the older who will not come into the celebration. He goes out. He speaks tenderly to him. And he doesn't call him son. The only translation in English that I know that's popular that translates it as it actually should be is the New American Standard Bible. Even the ESV that I read this morning doesn't translate it as it should be. It's the word child. It's a term of very tender endearment. He goes out to the older brother and he says, my child. All that is mine is yours. And you have always been with me. Everything I have is yours. And he repeats the resurrection language. And we begin to question, will the older son receive that? Will he respond and go in and celebrate? Some of us are like the younger son, burdened by wrongs, not sure we're worthy even of being a hired servant, let alone the father's love. And today we need to see the actions of our heavenly father, of God, his love which seeks restoration, just as the father in this story seeks the restoration of the son. Put on the robe, the ring, the sandals. Let's eat and celebrate. But some of us are like the older son, stifled by our rights, resentful because we've become, in a sense, hired servants. You notice the older brother, his complaint, I've always served you. He sees his relationship with the father as a dutiful servant, not a son. Sometimes we descend into that, even in our relationship with God. We lose sight of his great love. And it, it irks us when we see it displayed to others because we don't Know it or feel it ourselves. I don't know how to get you there. I try whenever I talk to you. It does take an individual step of faith to accept that God loves me that much. I hope you can do that this morning because you'll not go and celebrate. You'll not enter celebration. Celebration will not be a part of your life. You'll resent it when people talk about this reckless love because people that are responding to that reckless love don't have to jump through the hoops that you have set for your own life that you believe everyone should jump through. That's a constant challenge for us all. That's why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. 
He reveals the Father. When it comes to families, there are factors other than repentance and forgiveness that tend to hold us together. And sometimes even within our families, we don't express repentance. I'm sorry, I was wrong. And we don't express forgiveness. It's okay. Let's just go back to where we were quick. We don't want to handle this tough stuff. But in that tough stuff, we need to exchange admissions of repentance, a change of mind and heart, and of forgiveness. And we really need to mean it. We need to let it go and quit keeping accounts of what? Wrongs. Because we're so right. 1 Corinthians 13.5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Can you let go and quit pulling it back into the conversation and throwing it like a rock at people that ought to, you ought to value and you would value. You'd be the first up in, during the funeral if they were gone. Because loss defines value. Don't be a fool and wait. Through the love of God, realize that value before they confess. There are things that hold families together despite repentance and forgiveness. But don't wait till you receive an apology. It may never come. Don't wait till you can muster the ability to forgive. It may never come. And you may never find that ability to forgive. Don't stew in your own sense of being ignored. There's nothing that can be done to restore the past. But in God's love, step outside. Take a risk. That's called faith. Yeah, does it feel comfortable? Do you feel strong about it? Do you actually go in there with your knees knocking to address some of these things? It's like walking on thin ice. It's like stepping off the edge of a cliff. It's like jumping out of an airplane. But if you want to test your faith, then step out in the reckless love of God and learn to find the words to say what God is doing in your heart and what you want to do in the power of Jesus Christ. Go have lunch, celebrate, invite others to join you, love. And if the repenting and the forgiving come later, so much the better. And if not, you still will have done what is necessary to love as God has loved you, to open a second chance of reconciliation and a second chance for celebration and you will grow closer to understanding the reckless love of God. And you will grow in that love. There's a saying, it says, the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. 
the first to forget is the happiest. I have found those things to be true in my life through the reckless love of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes it is hard, and sometimes it feels, it, for a man, for a father, for a husband, it feel, I don't like the feeling of vulnerability. But that's how I overcame being such an angry man. Anger always felt more powerful, stronger. And I had to be, get comfortable with vulnerability, and it's still hard. But you grow. You grow in it. God is at work in your life, and he's wooing you. He's wooing you. He's wooing you to walk in faith. And he'll reward you with celebration. I'm going to pray for us, and then there's a closing benediction video. A couple of, just a couple of minutes I want you to watch. Heavenly Father, your love is an empowering blessing of life, our life, and the lives of those who are around us, those we deem valuable and those we deem valuable because of your love. You are a blessing to us, Father. And we praise you for your love. In Jesus Christ, your sacrificial, forgiving, merciful, generous, gracious love. And it's in Jesus' name that we praise you. Amen. Now, as you go into your world, may love your children, but God loves his children. May you find your identity in being a son of the only perfect father. May you make it possible, make it impossible for your daughters to ever find a husband as good as their dad. May you teach your children that their mother is the most beautiful woman alive. She's really pretty. May you risk more, worry less, and play hard. May you lead your family, not as a king, but as a servant. Who protects their heart, protects their hearts. Introduce them to a God, to a God that's already done that exact thing. 
We hope that you have a great day today. Great day today. Have a great day today. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day.